Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. You can make things way too complicated. And the t- complexities is what holds everybody back. It makes you tired. There's too much to focus on. There's too much to juggle. And over the last two years, I've been trying to untie those complexities. But you should never make them in the first place. So keep things really simple. Keep things focused. And don't necessarily aim for the stars. Keep it manageable. Hello and welcome back to Beautiful Lives, the podcast in which I, Madeline Spencer, am joined by guests to share some of the challenges they've faced and triumphs they've enjoyed during their life, as well as touching on the relationship between their inner and outer self and where beauty memories and rituals have had an impact. Today, I'm joined by the English fashion designer Alice Templey, MBE. Alice founded her eponymous brand in 2000 after stints at the Royal College of Art and Central St. Martins, and her designs have since been worn by Kate Middleton, Madonna, Beyonce and Halle Berry, among many, many others. Today, Alice and I discuss that ascent and some of the challenges that have come with running a brand alongside being a mum, how being a creative at the helm of a business can at times pull you away from the very thing that put your name on the map, her signature red lipstick and, of course, the origin of that inimitable Templey aesthetic. Here's Alice. Hi Alice. Hi. Nice Hi. Thank you for having me. Welcome. I'd like you to take me back to your childhood if you would. Where did you grow up? What was around you? What were you looking at? Uh, I grew up in um, deepest Somerset, overlooking the Somerset levels on a cider farm. And um, I was very much a sort of tomboy when I was growing up. And we were very involved in the seasons of the farm. So looking at apple picking, cider making, um, lambing. Um, you know, it was very farmy and hand-me-down clothes. And I think my dad really wanted me to be a boy. But it was, yeah, deepest, deepest Somerset, which is still very ingrained in my every everything about me. How many children? I was the eldest of four. Yeah. And was there a boy? The boy was the younger one. Right. He was 14 years younger than me. And, um, yeah, three girls. And then my dad was really happy to have a boy. <laughs> <laughs> Were there any touchstone memories where you looked at someone as a child and thought, oh, my God, I'd love to look like that as a grown-up? I think when you kind of grow up um, kind of with long hair, hand-me-down clothes, wellies, um, I remember vividly the more sort of flamboyant friends of my parents that kind of always made an impression with, you know, how they dressed and how kind of either sort of colourful and eccentric they were. And they were mainly artists, either with Sally Tuffin from Tuffin and Four from the 70s or Candice Bahuth, somebody who does did amazing tapestries and looks a little bit like um, kind of Cleopatra. They really made an impression with me. And then also discovering film noir when I was about 11. I couldn't believe, like, Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers and all of the those kind of old Hollywood greats that really definitely made an impression. And then, so I started cutting things up and dancing around to music, wearing the things I'd made at a young age, just sort of transported into that world that was the opposite of 
the wonderful world I grew up with, but it definitely uh, inspired something. Mm. And did that strong glamour that I suppose it, to my mind, belongs to a city, did that make you feel that you wanted to move into a city and work in a city and be part of commerce? Uh, I did move when I was 17, 18. I moved to London and I did, um, you know, I loved going out. I loved dressing up. I spent a lot of time in and around Soho and Covent Garden and, um, you know, worked in some of the the great bars of the time, supporting myself through college. And we used to dress up and go out and go clubbing and things afterwards. And it was definitely totally different to obviously how I'd grown up and from the countryside. Mm -hmm. But it's it's not a bipolar personality, although sometimes I question myself. But I think that the love of like the countryside and the roots and the kind of bucolics Somerset as well as... Um, that sort of bright lights, dressing up, escapists definitely play two sides of my character and also probably very evident in the clothes that we make. Mm. So you have a bias cut dress, but you might now have like the outerwear piece and it's all within one one kind of cohesive wardrobe. My girl can just travel across both. Sam McKnight came on the podcast and he referred to the moment where you go from being your um, home self to going out as, as a moment of becoming. And he said that's part of his job to make someone feel like they've become. That's interesting, yeah. And I wonder if for you, when you went to London or when you were dressing up and maybe moving towards that film noir aesthetic, whether to you that felt like a switch? Yeah, I think when I first went out and I kind of found these, you know, it was all charity shops because I never owned a design piece of clothing in my life and never grew up with it around me or owned it. Um, so I'd always find amazing things in kind of charity shops, thrift shops, whatever. Um, but when you find like a really well-cut suit and you go out in the evening and you've got your trilby hat and a well-cut suit, I always remember it makes you feel in a different way. And if you go out and you have, you know, wear your hair slightly differently, not that I, not that I do often, but <laughs> or you wear something kind of very opulent and biased cut, you literally feel it transports you so you can feel like you're a totally, you feel a totally different way. Mm. You either feel kind of empowered with what you're wearing um, a bit like a leather coat today for like I could be a dominatrix yeah it's just this the way that clothes make you feel is 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 really um not to be dismissed no when did you decide that you wanted to go to college and become a designer uh well I used to make and sell things from the age of 11 I was always doing textile pieces and I knew that I wanted to go to I was pushed into doing science so I did that for a while um, but then I went to art school after all my A-levels and everything and then knew that I wanted to continue doing textile work. And weirdly, it's been 20 years, but I um, I thought I went, it fell into fashion because it was a way of making my textiles into clothes to make money. Mm. I still don't want to be in fashion. I don't even like the fashion. I mean, I like making things, but the fashion industry, I don't agree with in many ways and trying to approach it in a different way. I don't agree with the seasons and I don't agree with... With, a, with many things, but mm. I still want to become that um, textile artist. So I'm trying still after 20 years to get myself a day a week, which I think I'm going to have to do otherwise. You know, when you, when you lie on your deathbed and you're like, what, what, why didn't I do? Mm-hmm. That's what I want to be doing. And I know for a creative, when you start running a business, you become, it, it takes you away from your creativity sometimes. And I think that's the hardest place to be um, when you don't feel like you're, in touch with it so me working on you know rugs with local suppliers working with my local suppliers having a much bigger studio space now in Somerset has brought me more connected to it 
but I need to do kind of more. You know, and you just, you do. I'm not a fashion person. I'm a creative person. And that doesn't necessarily need to be clothing. Yeah. Um, but I think if I if I push with that side of what I like, then that obviously becomes, you know, a strong thing for my business too. So it's it's basically, okay, who, who am I and what do I want to be? And what is the business and what does that need to be? And can they make each other, you know, more uh, more interesting going forward because there's that I don't know when you grow up and you're a, a creative and you have that feeling in your head when people say oh you're a fashion designer you're like, no I'm not <laughs> but I love I love the you know the making and the craft and the skill of it all but just the fact that it it's all around the clothing it's just it's very restrictive I find it's an interesting tension because I think when you are creative you want some degree of success so that you can make that the thing you do all day but the minute that tips into being successful, successful, you're completely right. You're pulled away from that and you're managing a business suddenly and a vision. And sometimes just the nitty gritty can be the exciting bit and the bit that charges you. Yeah. And I think there's just this balance between having a company which involves lots of people and it's like you know, there's lots of cogs to a company that runs and then you're, you're part of that. But you have your creative outlet as well where you're really literally just... It's like a kind of tonic for the brain. Unless you're doing it, you just end up like that that the character in Rango that sort of freezes because they don't have that outlet. Yeah. So um so yeah, it's just it's that's that's time management really is like for a mother or anybody working or a working mother or anybody working with with um with anything. We all have to sort of find that balance. It's interesting you said that about the fashion industry. It's come under a little bit of fire recently, and I think Perhaps instinctively, you're very much ahead of the curve because this seems to be the way things are going. But could you touch on some of the difficult elements then for a designer when you're working within the framework that already exists? People want you to do X number of shows and X number of seasons and things. What bothers you about that? Well, I think there's creative fashion and there's non-creative fashion. There's cut and sew and seasons and speed and the kind of that price point of clothing. And um, I mean, we just think about it. You start your collection a year before, about to start spring, summer 2023, um, swatching ideas, developing components. Um, it's just so much work goes into it and the researching it. And then you end up, you know, painting all of the elements and doing all of our embroideries and developing fabrics. And you put it together and you make the patterns and you put part of yourself into it. It gets then sold wholesale and you wait for people to choose what they like and what they don't like and maybe the wholesale people have a different sort of taste so they'll buy different in a display it in a different way um and anyway then you you have your orders and then six months later uh you deliver it mm. and then three months after that after a whole year of from development to waiting manufacturing doing everything uh, three months later the fashion system decides it's on sale because the season's changed or they want new stuff. Whereas if you've got the most beautiful embroidery anglais or lace dress or we were in the warehouse yesterday, beautiful hand-stitched sort of gowns, why should that ever be like, okay, out, next? So that we're just sort of cherry-picking those amazing things for the archive where they've got a stamp and those just things are just, they just are. You mm. just don't mess with them. Mm. I completely agree. <laughs> and, um, and I just think for, for a, a creative, when you're, when you're, when it's that labour intensive, uh, it can be, it's just kind of frustrating because you're, we're now not doing four seasons a year. I don't know how I managed to do four seasons a year, all the collaborations, two bridal seasons a year. Mm. I mean, that's just no, that's just, that's just not, that's not healthy and it's also not, 
you just end up running and running and spiraling. Mm. So now we do two. Um, so they're going to be much tighter, much more focused, made um, locally, gives me time to really develop and push and explore. And most of that collection will be like, right, these, this is protected. This is how we're going to do it. Mm. And I'll be... It's just about making things that aren't... It's not a mass product. It's mm. a beautiful product. And that, that should be treasured. Um, and then we're obviously extending into homeware, and which is exciting, finally. And um, That's other, a very natural synergy for your brand, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and other categories. It's yeah. just it's also sort of just the, the time and the, um, the energy needed for that. Mm. But that's really exciting. That sort of stuff excites me. Many people listening won't be part of the fashion world so for those people how much lucky you (laughs) for those people how much is there a i want to say devil wears prada element but how much is there that sort of front you know front line like bitchiness and all of that sort of thing not in my company my company my team absolutely lovely there's none of that there's no egos those know nothing Mm. uh all very creative and very um hard-working and passionate people who mm. just generally enjoy the process of making and doing and they they are within some, whether it's um, the kind of more, I don't know, commercial side and that side. Yes, there can be, but we've never really experienced it and mm. we certainly don't play to it. And often it's sort of the younger people wanting to get into fashion that behave like that thinking that's what it is but it's not <laughs> all the best editors are the nicest people in the world all the nice the best stylists are just they're good there's a lot of very good very very um inspiring people in the industry and i'm very good at shielding myself from anything that i don't want to be around take me back to when you were working in bars if you had a picture in front of you what did you look like I used to get chatted up by a lot of dodgy men, especially in the Met Bar. Um, and when I was a student, well, in the Met Bar was a, like a tight all-in-one Donna Karen jumpsuit. I was probably just way, way slighter mm-hmm. and um, was young. Mm-hmm. And still the long hair, the red lips? Long hair, red lips, just mm-hmm. probably sort of a few stone lighter. Tell me about the red lips. When did they come about and what... What brands have you loved and what are you wearing today? Uh, brands I love. I'm obviously quite um, um, loyal to friends, always have been. Um, obviously, Charlotte Tilbury is one of my best friends and uh, therefore my drawers are only her makeup. Tell Laura was made after Laura Bailey, another friend, obviously, uh, and I think that's what I've got on today, mm. that orangey-red um, but otherwise, I don't really wear that much makeup. I like a run out of Charlotte's number two natural look base. Otherwise, it's the Chantical one, mm-hmm. which is the other one I've got left. Chantical is good makeup um, for yeah for the skin, and then just a bit of bronzer. It's mm-hmm. Charlotte Tilbury's, and that's it. My routine in the morning is all of about uh, thirty seconds. And in terms <laughs> of your like more like long grooming things, like say hairdressing things like that, are you someone who goes and has your hair done at one particular place and yeah, has I certain go things to done? Nicola- at John Frieda, who if ever, if ever I have a, my hair done by somebody else, weirdly it goes the wrong colour yeah. or just it's just I won't let anybody else touch it. But mm-hmm. Nicola is the best for a reason. She's mm-hmm. just great and I trust her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're now a mother and a brand founder. 
is there tension between yeah, those two? I think two? it was hardest when I was splitting my time between London and Somerset mm. uh, because I was just ferrying us both around. And then a few years ago, when he was nine, I was like, he has to have a country upbringing like I do. We're going to move there permanently. And I moved him. And then I was the one trans going up to London two days a week. And mm. I found that really hard being apart from him. Mm. And then when the pandemic happened, I was like, right, this is just crazy. I can't sustain this life. I don't want this life of running backwards and forwards. I have to move my studios down to Somerset, make something, make a kind of beehive, bees will follow as one stop something. Somebody said to me and I was like, well, it doesn't matter. No matter whether it's fashion or if it's something else, I need to make this move Mm. um, for my sort of sanity and my child. And I was a single mum since he was two. And luckily I've had the same woman helping look after him, Nanny. And she's she's got older kids and she's great. And she te- she treats him like he's one of her own. Mm. And so I've had that stability. But I've always felt like I need to be there more. And as he grows now into a teenager, I think it's, it's just so good we're down there together. Mm. So coming up to London for three days this week... It's kind of nice to be away, but at the same time, I know that I'm, I'm happy that it's not a weekly thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And if I were to come over to your house in Somerset on, say, a Sunday afternoon and you weren't working and you're just relaxing, would I find you wearing a leather jacket with your lipstick on or would you be in a tracksuit? Oh, I'll <laughs> never wear a tracksuit. Okay. I'll uh, probably be um, in a... Often Somerset, so dungarees... But I just, I, I sort of dress the same most of the time. Okay. Um, and I don't think you should sort of save things till best. I wear a lot of knitted dresses in the countryside because it's just so comfortable. Mm. Um, and often my grunts and boots because you just, all weathers yes. or whatever. That's fine. as well. <laughs> if, you, if you buy clothes by other people, do you find yourself tweaking it? Because people are talking a lot about this at the moment and mm. kind of like making your clothes your own by having them slightly changed. Do you do that as a I don't habit? buy other people's clothes. I think if I was to buy other people's clothes, mm. I'm doing something wrong. I mean, I'll buy like Wolford bodies or layering pieces mm. or I'll buy, um, what else would I buy? Obviously shoes. Mm. Um, and what else I'll buy? This morning I bought this amazing Afghan, incredible and inc- really encrusted waistcoat on Portobello, mm. um, which I would never wear in London, but mm. I kind of would wear on long walks from the countryside. And that's my that's my other side, mm-hmm. sort of that layering and all of that. Denim up. It's interesting what you say about longevity, though, because I was just thinking when when you were saying that earlier that I've got quite a few of your um, pieces, and actually Yay. they stayed in my wardrobe for oh, I mean years. I, I wore something in 2011 that I actually wore. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, everyone. It's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast, Fat Mascara, here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beja Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosta 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAST10. That's S-O-L. 
O-L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O, soldejanero.com and use the code ACAST10 for 10% off. A week ago. If I told you now that you've got a day to be anywhere, doing anything, all to yourself, uh, there are no caveats on what you can do, what would you choose to do? Uh, I think I would choose to be in a very light, big, open room uh like a painting studio and i would have radio four on and nobody to bother me and no phone and i would just start a project that i've wanted to start for like 20 years and i just would love that and uh there is actually a room and you asked me the questions thinking i'm actually having next week off and i might go and find this room it's probably leaking a bit but (laughs) find the room and maybe just at least give myself two days of doing exactly that um because you just life's too short sometimes you've got to just say right i need to do this and just do it and it's very easy for us all to find distractions and find like oh i must do that or i need to do this or i and and you just sometimes you have to say right absolutely not protect that time because otherwise weeks pass that turn into months and years and 20 years later i've still find other reasons not to do that thing that i really want to do how else do you look after yourself do are you someone who say goes away somewhere once a year and has a you know like a real rest or do you go on retreats do you have long baths meditation what what does it for you uh spend a lot of time in the bath try to meditate but i'm not very good at it um but yeah a lot a lot of time what do you put in your bath bath. um epsom salts Mm. a lot and then hotel costs have this amazing uh oil which i don't use often because I'm very careful with it. Um, and then I walk along the coast, on the Jurassic coast, just that kind of wind and air and walking. And when you start and you, they're always like two or three hours long uphill, downhill with the sea in view. That's mm. a great tonic. Um, and I'd like to say I go away for a few, like, you know, a month a year to detox, but I haven't really for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I'm not, I mean, particularly as we can't with COVID, but I'm not particularly good at that self-maintenance. I'm sort of still got that sort of farm girl attitude. You've collaborated with Oscar to make a candle now. Yep. Is candlelight one of your big things? Absolutely. I think lighting is totally uh undervalued and i just find it really weird when people don't have you're looking around your room no, and you're, no your lighting's great um <laughs> but i find it very strange when people don't light things and i think in dutch i had a dutch girlfriend um that i lived with and when we were young i was at college and she was just saying how weird it was there were so many words in dutch for candlelight and even she's half israeli and israeli but as english don't have all these different words for the different sorts of light. And I thought that was really interesting. Um, but yeah, light is light is important. Candles are very important. And the Oscar one's brilliant because it's a candle that burns at a very low, the wax burns at a very low temperature. So that means you can just pour it, you can blow it out and immediately pour it. Normally you'd burn yourself, but obviously this is a special wax. Mm-hmm. So it holds the scent and it you can put it on your skin and... Um, it's it's just really, really nice. Can you name any moments from your life where you outwardly looked pulled together but were struggling inwardly? Oh, my God, yeah, I've had about two breakdowns. Um, One, I suffered... I went back straight back to work after having my child two days later. 
I was like pushing the pram about an hour after I'd had him mm. and somebody said, how old's your baby? And I was like, oh, it's only an hour old. Uh, and he saw he was only an hour old. Anyway, I went back to work two days later because it was, it was recession, crash, blah, 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 all kind of happening at that time, 2008. And I didn't realise, but just the exhaustion that accumulated, I got quite postnatal depression. Nobody at that point really talked about it. And nobody said, hey, maybe you've got this, or hey, how are you? And hey, I really think you need to stop working and go away. And I think I think anybody around anybody that's sort of struggling like that, certainly for me, going through it, it's just so obvious what's going on if you just you're exhausted and you're kind of you're working and you're you're in that way and then I ended up having um getting divorced because the ex-husband wouldn't stop partying and it was just really tricky so that was a really tough tough time and then another time when I had heartbreak as well you go into a zone and you just then you realize how Mm. sensitive your emotions can be not just as a woman but as a sort of when you throw in the complexities of, you know, childhood and, um, and you know, the work and the stresses and, and somehow I managed to work throughout the whole of it where nobody would have really known. Um, and you can kind of hide it quite well. But, yeah, there's definitely been a few times and I'm like the, f- the first one to see it in other people's eyes. Like you have a like a different look in your eyes, so like slightly distant look and I pick up on it on with with people and I've had a few members of staff that have been through something similar Mm. and it's just so heartbreaking to watch because you just you have no control over it and when you're that overwhelmed it is just a total imbalance that you can't really manage and you need help with it and it takes time it's not an instant fix so I find the whole topic topic of uh, mental health really interesting because I grew up with with a, a family that haven't had it or don't understand it or or certainly aren't patient towards it it is sort of like put yourself together mm. um and but it's just it's just so much more than that and I think so many people suffer from it in different level different you know different ways and yeah I'm always the first one to try and help or step in when I just see somebody's got nobody to talk to because you just you can't when you're in it you don't know really what it is what helped you both those times um the first one was long and it was just it was just long long postnatal depression thing um I don't really know what helped me that time just eventually kind of got through it the second time it was just finding people around to support that were um, not life coaches or therapy people necessarily, but maybe a bit of both that um, um, were there literally at the end of the phone, like, I need you. And just, I spent so much money with those conversations, but I had to have a crutch of of talking to this, this woman who was amazing. Um, and then a few girlfriends that were just, you know, and, and one um, male friend of mine that was just, they were just on the phone for me a lot, but it was just reaching out to your friends. You just say, hey, I've, I've got a problem. Um, and then and then, and then then it goes and then you learn and you become sort of stronger. But, um, you know, it's just, it can be tricky, you know, when you're, when you're, uh, when you're doing a lot yourself mm. and you're just sort of trying to survive, you know, you're, you know, I've never had any, 
um, sort of financial or any help like that from a partner or anything. So it's always been, okay, I can do it myself. I can do it myself and I will do it myself. But with that, fight sometimes become, you just become overwhelmed. Yeah. And when you're responsible across different spheres as well, you can't let anything, any side down. So then you... Yeah, you just keep How going. do you fall back? Exactly. Yeah. 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 And I, at one time, my, my only midlife crisis was like, I've got one fo- fox on my wrist and a T for Templi on my mm-hmm. my wrist. It's like, when I wake up in the morning, I've got my son and I come up and I've <laughs> got to get up and I've got to get on with it. It's just little mm. reminders right where I can see it. What's the significance of foxes then? Because you also have a fox ring on. My son's called Fox. And I it's just because I like the name of FOX, phonic kind of written in ink pen mm-hmm. and uh, old-fashioned name and from the countryside. It's quite funny because the local farmers said, why do I oh, you do that? Nobody likes foxes around here. <laughs> and I was like, oh, God. I do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm going to finish by asking you the questions I ask all my guests. The first being, what to your mind has been your greatest triumph, career or personal? Um, personal, I just think bringing up my amazing child and managing to uh, do that kind of we've done it we've done it by ourselves um i think that's that's a triumph and um and then just to try and keeping a company going over 20 years through trials tribulations recessions pandemics all of that and somehow still be sort of standing mm. um and or you know you just it's it's a test it's you just have to keep at it mm. nothing's to be taken for granted and nothing, you can't become complacent about anything. You've just got to get on. Sometimes things don't get any easier. And sometimes there are highs and sometimes there are lows. So it's just the effect that, that I mean, I just think it's just still here. Mm-hmm. What one piece of <laughs> advice would you give your younger self? What age would you return to as well? Uh, I would return to 27. Mm-hmm. And I would slow that person down and make her not listen to others too much and follow her dreams, which is what I did. But also um, you can make things way too complicated and the complexities is what holds everybody back. It makes you tired, there's too much to focus on, there's too much to juggle. And over the last two years, I've been trying to untie those complexities. Um, But you should never make them in the first place. So keep things really simple, keep Mm -hmm. things focused and don't necessarily aim for the stars keep it manageable and name three people dead or alive who you'd have at your ideal dinner party that's such a hard question um because you want a whole range of creative and and thought music and all sorts Mm. um for dinner party i think somebody like um Erte, that like 30s element of the, the experience of Paris. I'd like to have the dinner party in Paris, probably, with all those artists at that time. Would you cook? Um, would I cook? No, definitely not. Uh, <laughs> I would have a... I would have a... Um, I would have a, a cook. Um, trying to think of who else I would, who would be... Um, Somebody like amazing, like Nelson Mandela, bring a bit of Africa in there, and it's amazing. I'd love to hear about how on earth he managed to get through being in solitary confinement and in prison and then out again, and how how did he do that? Um, what an amazing man. Um, and then 
it would have to be Coco Chanel as well, just because she was just such a um, somebody who just didn't have any rules and literally mm. somehow managed to create this incredible business. Um, and she just looked like a hell of a lot of fun. And Marchesia, that woman that had the leopards in Venice with that incredible life and that amazing piazza. I don't know about Marchesia. Oh, my God. So it's what Marchesia, my friend's fashion brand, was named after. Um, and she's got amazing flame red hair and she used to go around the gondola with pet leopards and have these wild parties. I'd like to be at one of her parties in Venice. I'm getting the impression that your Parisian dinner party would be a big, fun event with lots of colour and flamboyance lots of colour only for once music candlelight colour um yeah but dinner parties can be fun yeah <laughs> thank you very much for taking me through your story That's Alice a pleasure Everyone, it's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast Fat Mascara here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beige Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosa 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAST10. That's S O L. D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O soldajanero.com and use the code ACAST10 for 10% off.